Hello and welcome to the Wellness Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Taff, and on this week's episode, I'm joined by Rory Stewart, also known as the Happy Whole Coach on Instagram. Rory is a psychotherapist and specializes in helping people heal patterns to keep them stuck and create healthy relationships. In this episode, we talk about what we need to create a healthy relationship, how to communicate with your partner, maintaining intimacy, coping with heartbreak, and so much more. There's something in this episode for everybody. So whether you're in a relationship, you're single, or you've recently gone through heartbreak, there's so much to learn from Rory. If you enjoy, as always, please let me know. But for now, let's get into the episode. Rory, you're so welcome to the podcast. And I just want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I know this is a topic we could spend so, so long talking about. But before we crack on, I'd love if you could tell everyone just a bit about your um, background and your passions and what you kind of support people with in your work. Right, no worries, cool. So I work in, I work as a psychotherapist and a trauma-informed coach. It's, well, a lot of it's transformational coaching. Like I work with people that are trying to break patterns that they find themselves in their life that's led they really unfulfilling relationships and a, a large part of what I'm doing is helping them rebuild their self-esteem to control their life find their personal power and just my dramatic well I suppose they don't need to be dramatic but like shifts in their life where they start to keep what they want from things um, I use a very blended approach so I'm big on the using a multimodal approach so don't rely on any one skill set it allows me to take um, it allows me to integrate a load of the different things that I'm passionate about so like I'll use a somatic approach I might use hypnotherapy I might use anyway the things that i'm working with a person but it's to get them to the outcome that they want um a lot i work a lot with relationships because that is a big part of people's well-being is the quality of your relationships kind of the dictates in part the quality of your life um and a lot of people maybe in their 20s 30s 40s are starting to go through these shifts where they're starting to recognize patterns that aren't working or they're starting to get that stage in the relationship where like right fuck something has to change and that's usually maybe they've had a few bad experiences of therapy or disappointing experiences of therapy. And that's normally where I'll start to work with people then when they're coming on, they're like, right, I'm ready for this change now. Yeah. I actually, um, I saw, on, I, I saved this um, post on your Instagram page and it was one of the most powerful things you can do is start exploring why you are the way you are. And then knowing the patterns and experiences that shaped you for better or for worse this can give you the power to break the patterns, make new choices and have better relationships. And I just loved, I love that because it's such an important part. Like I suppose, like we don't learn about relationships. Like the only thing I knew about relationships was what I grew up around and what I may have seen my parents doing or my grandparents. You go into school, we don't get any education. You enter into different relationships with partners. And part through your peers' experiences as well. So, like, that's where the cultural thing can come on too. Like, if you really date somebody from a completely different culture, then you're dealing with their template as well. Like, uh, one of the things that I really loved about this to transform my own experience of, like, understanding myself, but also now for clients, was systemic family therapy, being able to understand the system that we can out of. Looking at intergenerational trauma, intergenerational patterns, looking at communication, looking at all the different things that was present in the family. But... Is the work is like I've kind of deepened my practice and I'm starting to see different parallels and approaches. I can also see where a lot of the times in relationships, you know, 
unless the communication, the safety, and the trust is there, like how often are we going to wait on that space for our partner and find out about their background? Like how did they grow up? What was it like for them? Especially if it's men, you know, men aren't really that forthcoming with that information. But you know, like how was intimacy shown in your family? We ever told, you know, when you were upset that anybody ever try and calm you down, that anybody ever tell you that they were proud of you, that they loved you. You know, how did your parents resolve arguments? All these things are in part in your unconscious template of what they expect from a relationship, for better or for worse. And the thing is, like, when we then get on their adult intimate relationships, we're just repeating patterns that we don't even know what we're doing. And it's in part an element of the subconscious because the brain seeks out that which is familiar. It doesn't mean that we're looking to go out with another replica of our mother and father. It's about traits and it's about that productive pattern. But then we only have that one template they operate from until we recognize it's not fucking working and we need to do something different. And, you know, we could find ourselves unconsciously mimicking a pattern that we know doesn't serve us because you may have grown up watching your mom click it her entire life and been like, I'm never going to be like that. But now in your adult relationship, you're with a partner that's forcing you into that stance and you don't know how you got there and you don't know how to get out of it because you never had boundaries modeled. You've never had healthy assertive communication modeled. And, you know, for people that grew up in very volatile or, you know, maybe even an abusive environment, if that's familiar, then they might even find that in their adult relationships as well, you know, because it's been normalized growing up. And the thing is, we don't get an education in school about this. And it's not really the fault of the education system or teachers, but it is something that needs to change and be explored because you need to have an understanding of like what health healthy relationships look like, you know, communication around your boundaries. I know boundaries is usually death online, but even like for teenagers and young adults, like even having like conversations around consent, boundaries, what isn't isn't okay, you know. And I think even when we look at psychosexual stuff, especially in young men and also in, in girls, like, you know, we've got generations now that have grown up with nonstop access to porn. Like that's mm-hmm. not normal for like going on the relationships, porn not the same as a relationship like but, these conversations aren't really had or aren't really being had, like communicated. Um, like it's just mainly in a digital space now. Like, yeah, and especially as well if it's not like you said, if it's not something that's openly talked about in your family as you're growing up, it's very it can be very uncomfortable to to try and talk about that kind of thing. Uh, but even think about traditional households in Ireland and the UK. Like, how often do people have conversations about sex or consent? Most are like, I mean, it's a running joke in most Irish households. If there was a sex scene on the TV, parents are like, oh, get that off the TV. Quick. Yeah, you leave the room. You're like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> what are you going to do here? But like, there is conversations that have to be had. And like, I get that it's uncomfortable. But also, when you look at it from the family therapy perspective, you also have an appreciation for the culture your parents grew up on. And within the grandparents, you can look, right, well, what was it like for them? What were they growing up with? What was the cultural norm? Maybe get married at 18 the man of the house and anything he says goes for better or for worse there's gender gender rules gender conditioning that comes into that there's loads of different things that can be unpacked when you start to look at like the family of origin and then also when we look at it as a couple understanding your partner's family of origin their backgrounds their traumas their stuff you have an appreciation as to why they function the way they function also and communicate the way that they communicate yeah for sure and it's something i noticed um even in myself, like when I started doing therapy and kind of look, try, working on myself and trying to show up better and, and work on old patterns and stuff. But I even noticed that like physical affection would be something that I was quite uncomfortable with when I was kind of in my early 20s and stuff. And I know it's because as a family, and this comes like from generations all the way down, it's not that like 
the love is there all the time. It just maybe wasn't said. So when it comes to like a relationship where you, if something like that came up for me when I was younger, I'd feel a bit uncomfortable then trying to express it, even though I felt it. Or even though like my my not feeling comfortable hugging someone didn't mean that I didn't love them, but it was just like that the little. The template and experience wasn't there for that to be openly shown. Yeah. And that's an unfortunate thing, like in some families too, because there is that knowing that your parents care. And it's like, right, well, maybe they never had that experience themselves and they're replicating that in their parents' life, which is sometimes one of the things that can happen too when relationships go to that next stage, maybe where people potentially move on together, then you'll start to see the family templates starting to come up around things that they expect. And they might even know that they're slipping on this because it's an unconscious thing. Mm. Then they're going back to their old template. Well, what was it like when I grew up? And then what would I expect from a partner? And the thing is, like, to your point there about, like, affection and stuff like that, like, discipline, affection, communication, all those things are relevant. Like, when you think, if your parents had an argument or a disagreement, did did you see a repair? Did you ever see how anything, like, repairs were made? Did you see anybody openly address what had happened? Was it swept under the couch? Was there stonewalling? Was there silent treatment? Was there any other dysfunctional behavior at play? And even when you begin to start looking at this, you'll catch your own blind spots. You're like, well, Jesus, maybe when I was younger, I was doing stonewalling or I was doing silent treatment and I thought that was normal. And I can kind of look at it now and be like, no, that's not fucking normal. It's just common. And I was punishing my partner because I didn't have the words to express what I was feeling. And the thing is, we do thinking that this is the dumb thing, but it's because you've nothing else there to compare it. They did look at us like kind of like a map to be able to go, right, I'm not supposed to be doing these things, but what am I supposed to be doing? Mm, yeah and what is your advice for someone who's listening who is in a romantic relationship and and wants to just create that healthy foundation and like is there like fundamentals that we can kind of focus on or make sure that we're doing in our relationship to create that kind of open and um I suppose aside from obviously we need to look within ourselves as well to to identify well I wrote a few things down at the start like and obviously I can flesh all these things out <laughs> just off the top of my head. Like at the core of a healthy relationship is safety. That's mm. the big one. You have to feel safe to be able to express yourself. So that means I can use my voice even when things are a wee bit uncomfortable or difficult and I don't have to worry about feeling scared. I don't have to worry about the partner potentially losing their temper, fucking becoming intimidating, guilt tripping. Like guilt tripping to an extent I can kinda of understand some people doing it, but the intimidating behaviour, slamming doors, being aggressive, all the kind of really intimidating body language that can't be in place um, because then that's a strategy to shut down any form of making change and that that can't be there. Um, Trust is a huge one. Respect is a a huge one. I would say we trust when safety and respect is there and consistency and commitment is clear, then you can begin to relax in the relationship a bit because really when you know that the person loves, respects and is there for you, then you can begin to trust them. And especially for people that have been maybe they've had betrayals in the past and they've had their confidence really damaged or they've got a really severe anxious attachment and they're constantly looking for cues that the relationship's in danger. So respect, safety and trust is a massive element of what's going to make that feel like a, a healthy relationship. Um, I wrote this actually down too because I wanted to remember it. At the core of this is can I rely on you? Are you there when I need you? Are you aware of what's going on with me? Are you responsive to what's what's going on? And can you show me empathy when I'm in the middle of my feelings and I'm, I'm my stuff? Are you there for me? Like, um, and there's no ambiguity about the commitment. You know, you know that you're committed to each other. You're on the same page. You might have slightly different values, but not to the point where you're like really, really fucking headed in different directions. Like, 
there's a clear commitment to the future of the relationship. Like you know that this is the thing for both of these. I think would be a really big thing. Um, what else did I write down? Awareness. The thing I was talking about earlier. Awareness of your own stuff, but also showing enthusiasm and respect and holding a solid space for your partner. To lean and they understand more about them as well. Yeah, yeah. Once once that awareness is there, you can't you can't unsee. It's like once somebody opens that box and it's like, look, this is what I've been through. You can't stuff that back in because then you've got a lens at which they understand what they've been through. Like if I know somebody grew up in a really bad environment, if I know there was a lot of abuse or a lot of violence or maybe a lot of just really nasty stuff that they went through growing up, and then I look at why they have such a visceral reaction to certain things, I can't play on that anymore because this has been brought onto the space and I have the honor and respect that I can't like because they did not do that I would be mistreating that partner and I'd be breaking their trust but there would be no safety there would be no respect and and and, and part if you're in a relationship and you've shared these vulnerable things with your partner and now you see that that behavior is happening that they're disregarding that after you've shared it then that's a clear sign that the connection and everything within that relationship is not safe yeah yeah um, and I suppose that all really comes down to our communication and, and being and open and it's like the fucking oxygen of the relationship and the problem is we don't really get schooled on communication as i said we get this unconscious template that we get from our parents growing up or uh another way of looking at it if you look at it from the lens of self-esteem i also think it's really interesting from a gender perspective when we start looking at conditioning and stuff but if you think of the family of origin right um and it's not an exaggeration to say it in this way but how you've learned to be in the world as a result of how you survived your family. Mm. And I use the word survived because if, if we were in prehistoric or ancient times, we would have needed our family and connections as, as a survival. Like we need we need that in order to cope. And when you're a, a child, you need your parents because you can't, you can't fend for yourself on your own. So when you look at how you get your connection and how you get your needs met and how you learn to communicate, all those things were survival responses. And that when you look at it in that lens, you can understand people pleasing a lot more. You can understand being the good care, the martyr, the go-to person, selfless, all those things. Maybe that was how I got seen. Maybe that was how I got praised. But then what does that cost in the self as well? Everybody before me. And then I go into an adult relationship and I'm doing the same thing. And I don't know why I'm getting mistreated. I don't know why I'm not getting my needs met. I don't know why I'm struggling so much to speak up. I don't know why I've got this fear of confrontation. Because when you look at the, the awareness of what you grew up with and how you responded, and it's not that you look back at it from this place of judgment, like, oh, my parents were so bad or they were this, that, and the other, but it's looking at it from the lens of curiosity to go, right, what the fuck do I need to learn and what do I need to let go of? Do you know what I mean? So then you have an appreciation of your journey and you can also consciously empower yourself with this sense of personal responsibility to decide to do differently going forward. Yeah. And even, like, in terms of communication, I've even learned, like, to, to not assume that my partner knows what I want or what because that that in itself me just assuming that he should know this no right. this just say it uh, this is one of the biggest ones that come up I didn't say this and it's not it's not just that women do this but they do it much I think they do it more frequently than men it's like well he should know and then I'll say well why should he know because he should know well why don't you tell well shouldn't have to but why should you not have to well he should know I'm like, but if you don't tell him, how's he going to know? Well, he should know. And it's like, right, so you're identifying the problem. You're, you've assumed that this person, for whatever reason, knows what you know or should know, like your ins and outs of your train of thought, but you won't 
communicate or ask directly for the need that you want to be met. So the, the thing that I've always remembered is ask, don't assume. Ask. If you've got a thought in your mind or you're assuming something about something, communicate, just bite the bullet, lean in, have the conversation. Because mm-hmm. anything that's going to happen after that's going to be feedback that you can relate back to and go, right, did that work? No, I've done something wrong. Or something doesn't fucking click. I need to fi- refine my approach going forward. Yeah. Oh, then, I'll hold my hands up as a woman and say that I do that all the time. And I'm like, no, stop. It's not, stop. Not a, it's not a criticism or a judgment. It's an observation. And yeah. like, men, are, men will have the same kind of thinking and relation to some things. But whenever there's a should, there's a judgment. And that whenever you think about like that expectation, if the expectation is not communicated, your partner's not a fucking mind reader either. <laughs> yes. As much as they'll do their best to attune to your needs and be responsive, like they've got their own fucking stuff going on. And if you think about it, like if you go to, if you go to work and you've got all these different things going on and your head's in 10 different directions and you come home and you say something to your partner and it doesn't fucking click with them in that moment, you can go on to a story and make a meaning in your mind that can be way off base. Oh, yeah. And like, that happens so often. Like, Yeah, and it's, it's something like at the core, which is very easily solved. Like it doesn't have to turn into something like that. Like I remember I read, um, I was reading an article on when there was a big, a lot of talk around love languages and kind of understanding like little things that would, that I appreciate or that I enjoy. And one of them would be quality time. And like, nice. I, I look back to like times where myself, and my husband will be watching a movie or like we plan a night together and I get so pissed off if he was on his phone. Cause I'd be like, he obviously doesn't care in my mind. He's on the phone. It's not important to him. Whereas it, when he looked at his, he was like, I don't give a shit if you're on your phone. Like that doesn't really bother me. So he couldn't understand why it annoyed me so much. And I. Or that was that need expressed. Like if you had said, look, I'm feeling really disconnected at the moment because I planned this evening for the two of us to sit down together and I'm feeling a wee bit kind of pushed to one side, not really prioritized because you're scrolling on your phone. And I know I haven't said anything about it, but we put our phones to one side for the evening. Yeah, that would be the easy thing to say. just to fucking rehearse it because it's connected to my work. But the thing about it is, it's an invitation for that person to actually go, fuck, I didn't know that that was how you felt. And we extend them the opportunity to go, right, all right, cool. Because like, if, if he's then aware of your internal feeling and what's coming up for you, he has an opportunity to work with you. He can put his phone on one side. Then you're not going into that spiral of, what a fucking prick. Like, you know, <laughs> he's oblivious to what's going on. Oh, oblivious. And the same way vice versa, his would be like words of affirmation or me just showing appreciation and letting him know that I appreciate things that he's done. And I, I wouldn't have done it enough, definitely. But now I know. So I'm I'm much more conscious of being like, look, I really appreciate that you did that for me or yeah, whatever it is. Like for for not, not the one the gender differences, but that's one of the big complaints that come up with men. It's not feeling respected and not feeling appreciated. And it's, it's interesting, you know, because when you think of men and how often men keep things to themselves, it's not at the forefront of people's thought that a man needs to hear that he's appreciated, but it's a big thing. Yeah. We talk about it from the sense of connection. We all like to feel appreciated. We all like to feel valued. Men are no different in that sense. You know, they have attachments, they've got feelings, they've got fucking needs too. But that is a big, big complaint for men is not feeling respected and not feeling appreciated. Yeah, I've kind of come across. Um, yeah, that's I was happy. Like I found we found it really helpful because it just brought so much more understanding to little things that were easily solved, and we could both be more conscious of 
day to day and it, it would prevent like little arguments that didn't really need to happen just because we understood what was important to and the core of that again communication yeah awareness yeah. choosing to be to commit to doing the work together and it doesn't have to be this big cliche thing about doing the work right we're going to fucking comb through all our shit that's not yeah. what it is yeah. it's like look there's certain things that aren't working we're, we're falling under these patterns where we're maybe clashing about the same things and like the Gottmans that should talk about this in terms of perpetual problems and solvable problems. And sometimes the healthiest thing to do is you remember that these are a team. These are going to move towards looking for the solution for us both. We're going to try and find a compromise. And that's one of the things that I should have sent her back on earlier when we were talking about connection and that idea of a healthy relationship. There's space for the individual and there's space, you know, there's also that uh, connection of the couple, like what we do together as a couple. So there's this thing of the I self and then the we, us as a couple have we got shared hopes dreams and aspirations then on the individual level can we support each other in our own individual pursuits as well um but at the core of that that has to be communicated and if we yeah. don't talk about it and this is why the same things come back respect safety trust communication consistency um commitment and the thing about this one of the big complaints that people will have is oh the intimacy is gone in the relationship Intimacy can't fucking be there if none of them other things aren't there. Yeah, you have to have them first. Be connected to your partner if none of those things are there. Mm. And like even on that level when you're talking about love languages, that's only a tool. It's one tool. And like people disregard the very, very basic day-to-day things. Do you you greet your partner at the start of the day? Do you tell them that you love them? Do you kiss them before you go? Do you spend breakfast together? Do you spend the evening together? Do you greet them when you come home? Do you share your day with them? Do you invite them into your space? You know, intimacy is built on loads of different small things that add up. Yeah. And, like, you don't have to do these big fucking grand gestures. Like, oh, I'm going to blow a couple hundred pounds and take her away for the night. Like, that's not really at the core of it. Like, it could just be something thoughtful. It could just be, I was thinking about you today, or, you know, doing something that makes that person feel thought of and valued. Yeah, yeah. But the small things add up, and that's the maintenance in the relationship. That's what helps the relationship continue on over a period of years. And the thing is, like, uh, good harping on about that, that Gottman Institute, they, they studied loads and loads of couples over, I think it was a couple of decades, and what they found was that the, the, the relationships and marriages that lasted, they were able to predict with a very high accuracy the ones that would survive and the ones that would break up based on how conflict was resolved. Mm. How conflict played out, they could accurately decide, or not decide, predict that they would be potentially divorced in so many years if this wasn't sorted there's always key elements in play in relationships that are struggling and even back to what you said there about intimacy like so much of the time we nearly assume right there's no intimacy there's there's no spark or there's no love left or whatever and we almost dismiss it but when you say that it's built intimacy is built on top of those core it has to be consciously worked on but Intimacy, the, the problem is with intimacy, physical intimacy, then you've emotional intimacy. And then even earlier you mentioned quality time. All those things are about connection. Very often it gets misrepresented as just physical intimacy, especially for men, because men are wired, you know, to think about sex. That is their purpose as a gender, to fucking have children. Like every male in every species, that's what they're designed to do. So if a man feels that he's not of value or if there's no intimacy there, he's going to relate that back to the self and he's going to think of that as a problem. But that the thing about it is he has he will have his blind spots too. What am I not doing in the relationship to make her feel connected? 
that she wants to be able to have sex or she wants to be able to be intimate, like what is not working in this scenario? And also from another lens of looking at it, we have so many mixed messages in the media and in around how how frequent like sex and intimacy should be happening in a relationship and there's so much misinformation and in around what's normal and what's not normal. And that's a whole other fucking conversation. <laughs> but the problem is, again, if you grew up in a household where nobody's talking about sex, or if you are only listening to things from your peers, like your, your, your peers should be talking absolute shit. Mm. Oh, me and her had sex fucking three times last night. Right? Okay. Yeah. And then he's going home. Oh, there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. You know, there must be something wrong with my relationship. That could be nonsense. Yeah. And I suppose for guys then as well, like they have as much insecurities as we do. Whereas Massive. women, we we like we'll talk about it. Like I'll talk to. We don't have that though. There, yeah. really like women are fortunate, and it's not in the sense that you know there's not that there's less stigma, but they can talk about those things more openly and freely. Whereas with men, I think if we look at it from an evolutionary perspective, it's about this concept of not showing weakness. I don't want to feel less than, I don't want to feel less than my peers. I don't want to feel like I don't know something. I don't want to feel like I'm not functioning or not enough. And I don't want to look less than in front of the boys. Yeah. They won't, they won't talk about it. And that's why when you start looking at psychosexual issues like erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation and stuff like that, men get really overwhelmed because they don't know who to talk to. And they don't want to go and fucking talk to the GP about it for a start. Mm-hmm. But, but you have to take ownership of them. Like, right, something's not working. There's anxiety, there's stress, or there's something medically not going on. They're not going to turn around to their friend and be like, hey, uh, it's not working anymore. I don't know what they fucking do. Like, you know, if anything, that might come up when they've had a skin full of drink. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get the support that they need. No, it just goes around and around inside them without having an outlet for... But the thing about it is at the core, you know, the, the, male, the male sexual ego is one of the most fragile things in the world. So like if a man feels rejected on that level, that can cause a whole fucking host of problems for him. And it's not they make it like, oh, men have it harder than women. It's not about that at all. It's just understanding in the psyche of a man, when he feels rejected on that level, it feels like the whole self's being rejected. So that's why these psychosexual issues in men are such a big fucking problem when they happen because there's so much shame and embarrassment connected to seeking help for it. Yeah. And is there a way that we, as like, if um, we're we're in a relationship, can support or like, I, I don't want to be like, talk to me, tell me like, what you're feeling or like really forcing it but I suppose is there a good way to to provide an open place just like look if you ever need to talk or there's anything going on or you mean like in general or just around certain topics I suppose more around certain topics around the topics like around kind of insecurities or, or like that you said where men don't like they don't go and talk to lads about the kind of more uncomfortable well for some like for some people uh, I don't want to like generalize anything. Like some men will be open to talking about it, but again, if the safety, trust, and respect is on this in a relationship, if they feel like right, this person's not a fucking dickhead, they're not going to use this to embarrass me. You know, they're not going to demean me or anything like that. This person genuinely wants this to work. You know, I they might open up about it, but one of the big things that can help in some of psychosexual issues is just talking about it. Actually, just taking ownership of it. I mean, like, look, it's okay. It's not actually this big idea. Like, this can get sorted relatively quickly. You know, if that person goes to the doctor and it's non-medical, so it's ruled out very quickly that it's not a physical problem, all the equipment's working. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Yeah. All the equipment's working, nothing's malfunctioning. 
then it's psychological. So then you would go and speak to somebody that works in that field. But the first step is even just talking about it with your partner. Like, ah, uh, you know, even with like erectile dysfunction, like men get this certain age, but like a lifestyle thing, they might smoke their whole fucking life. They might have an alcohol problem. They might have chronic stress. You know, there's shame and stigma then around that. They're embarrassed. They don't have to talk about it with their partner. But if a partner can hold the space and look, this is not actually a really big deal. I just want to make sure that you're okay. That person might then relax on that and talk about what it is that's going on for them internally. Yeah, there's um, a girl, I don't know if you've heard of her, Jenny Keane. Um, she's a holistic sex therapist um, from Ireland, but she calls it like, she talks about sexual scripts where it's almost this this script where it's like, okay, if that happens to me or I have problems with my libido or whatever, it's like, that shouldn't happen. There's something wrong with me. And she's like, no, that's yeah. that's a script that you've learned. It's uh, the shoes, the judgment. So there's a judgment on something that's going on. But the thing is, like, again, it's because there's elements of talking about these things, and it's not just to go back to men, that it can feel kind of taboo in the sense of, I don't want to, like, because with men, it's like, I don't want to feel less than. And then it's, like, even if they go to therapy, it's, and this is why it's so good for therapists they look on they psychosexual training so that you can identify is there something else here this person's not talking about that could be resolved because very often as soon as you can actually just name it and normalize it and relax on it it's like there's a big weight taken off the person like fuck right I, well, this is actually part of it yeah you know, one person might have been like oh i have four or five relationships and jesus we're arguing all the time and then well, what we's arguing about we weren't really having sex right and what was one of the reasons you weren't having sex and then they might go well I had vaginismus, right? Well, how long has that been a problem? And then, come on, and then it's sort of, but if it doesn't come up, or if it's there's too much embarrassment or shame or fear connected to it, that might never come up in a session the way it needs to come up for that to be resolved. And that could transform that person's relationships going forward. They could have a in sex life. All that other stuff might be an afterthought then after that. But if they just come on and they don't allow themselves to talk about what it is they're experiencing, they might never get the help that they need. Yeah, I don't even know how we get on that topic today. Me neither, but I'm like, it's good. It's <laughs> it's a good conversation because I feel like it's not talked about unless you're in like if if someone's kind of working one to one with you or you're you're going out of your way to kind of get the support with it. It's not talked about that openly. Like the only time I've ever in my I'm 31 now come across um someone getting me to talk about like problems in a relationship would be like myself my husband got married last year and we had to do to get married in a church abroad you do a pre-marriage course and part of it like I was throwing my eyes I was like oh please don't but it was actually I have to say some of it was really good because they got you to sit down and like have the conversation about okay what if we can't have kids or what if this happened or what if this happened how can we support each other and just even someone holding that space to be like look these these things may show up and it's important for you to to be able to openly communicate when they do and support each other and like that you're a team you're not it's not me versus you in this house against the issue it's not like and again when we look at that even in the place of conflict very often that's what happens is we get so not we like some people get caught on this notion of Who's the bad guy? Who's in the wrong? Or uh, the need to be right? Like, I can't remember if it was Terry Reeler or if it was one of them other therapists that said it, but it's like, do you want to be right or do you want to be in a healthy relationship? And it's like when the conflict goes, but again, if that's on your template growing up, like, you, you know, you fight the last stand to get your point across. It's like, well, I have no, your fucking connection, your relationship's chilled. Yeah. 
you know, your partner's alone with her feelings, or he's alone with his feelings. He doesn't feel understood. She doesn't feel heard. There's no empathy for what's going on. And all right, you you, you won the argument, but what did it cost you? you know, and this is the blind spots that some people have. And it's like when you have an awareness that right, this is the dance that we're on. I'm looking for the bad guy. And the big thing that I like had picked up from family therapy that when I was working on on blame was my own personal responsibility. What have I lost sight of? What's my part in this conflict? Have I, overse- have I overseen something, overstepped something? Have I missed something that's made her, her feel the way that she's feeling? And that's a big one for me too. Like if I seen, because I see this with people with defensiveness, when people get defensiveness, there's like this perception that they're being criticized. And then what they'll do is they'll try and find fault, but they'll try and shift fault. But really like at the core of that again is, can I acknowledge an element of my responsibility for part of this problem so that my partner feels fucking heard and understood and empathized with? Rather than me being like, I but you do this, you know, but you do this too. Mm-hmm. Just, just in fucking circles in. And that's the thing, like awareness of the communication problem, awareness of the pattern then can lead to more effective solutions going forward. And even knowing how, and this is a big one, even knowing how to fucking apologize the right way is such a big deal. And people, you know, really fuck this up a lot. But that as a night and day difference in your relationship, if you know how to apologize and make your partner feel really like you understood what, why it had such an impact on them, that you're genuinely remorseful, that you won't do it again, that you're committed to making a difference going forward, that you can acknowledge and empathize with their feelings and actually put your fucking hands up and take responsibility for what happened. That is a big fucking deal. And I will hold my hands up and say for a long time, apologizing was not my <laughs> strong point in a relationship. And it's something now that I'm, I'm so conscious of because I'm like, no, like you, you, you have to apologize. Like this is not, um, like you have to be conscious of this and make sure that you're you're openly apologizing and owning what your part and what you've done. Ah, uh, huge. And the thing is, like again, if we had that template of conflict in the house, and there was never an apology, or if it was like fucking two weeks of stonewall, it's like, right, well, fuck them. We'll just we'll just sit in silence then. Yeah. And it's like, right, this isn't this is not functioning. Yeah. But again, even when we look at the meaning making behind what an apology is, for some people it's like, oh, I'm, I'm submitting. That means I'm weak. It means she doesn't respect me. And it's like, well, where did you fucking decide that? You know, you've created these parameters around what you think this means. When really at the core of this, you're validating your partner's experience. You're acknowledging that you've done something that's hurt them or, you know, let them down, disappointed them, whatever it is. And you're taking responsibility for it. That's being a fucking adult. Yeah, and not going, so- I am sorry, but you did this because that's, that's taken the, away from your apology. That's defensiveness again. You're, you're shifting fault, you're shifting blame. You're not taking, there's, it's not they say, look, in some scenarios, you'll not take complete responsibilities on the totality of everything that happened because it is valid that there's probably elements that both people contributed to a problem. Now, you can still take responsibility for the hurt that you caused. I still say, look, I didn't handle that well. Maybe I came home from work, I was rushing and diving, I was stressed out, I didn't tell you, I was stressed out, and I fucking snapped, and I really didn't mean it. And if there's no excuse for it, and you can acknowledge that, you can empathize with a person, you can commit to not doing it again. You can give them space to move through what they're feeling. And again, this is one of the other things I think people get it twisted with, with apologies. Just because I say I'm sorry doesn't mean now that I expect you just to go right, fuck it, stop. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, well, well, fucking apologies. Like, why are you not over it? Because you need to give that person space to regulate and move through what they're feeling. And they're not going to feel connected straight away because, you know, you fucked them over, you've done something that's hurt them, they're going to need a bit of time to come through it. 
and that's even just on some smaller things but like when we're talking about bigger things like and i think like when you talk about long-term relationships right and you talk about like when we're talking about healthy relationships like when i was saying there are you there for me one of the worst things you can do in your partner is if your partner is going through a real big crisis in their life and this could be maybe one of their parents are dying or somebody's sick or there's something really bad happening say maybe they're going to lose their job or there's a catastrophic event going on and you've just kind of decided fuck them i'm not getting on that and grief leaving them alone in their grief you didn't attend to them you weren't there for them you know you were away doing your own thing and for different reasons people can do this but that can cause such a fucking massive rupture that it might be very difficult to get that relationship back on track and you can understand why mm-hmm. and that's why it's so important to have this foundation of the small things often making your partner maintaining the connection consciously choosing to do that like you know so that it's not you know even when the, the, the big things are difficult they know you're there you don't have to have all the solutions but that you're doing the things that make them feel held and that you know that they've got that space for you yeah and I suppose my next question is kind of slightly shifting towards the area of if you're in a relationship, but like deep down, you know that it's not somewhere that you want to be long term or that is that feels right for you. But you feel like I've put in all this time and I should keep staying and trying to make this work. How do you, I suppose, get yourself to that place of I have to, I suppose, maybe back to your your self-worth and, and kind of looking at, look, just because I've invested this time in this relationship doesn't mean that I have to keep going if it's not right for me. Do you mean like when a person knows that they don't want the relationship? Yeah, anymore? yeah. It's, I mean, like, it's it's a fairly broad, I don't, I, like, I, I'm not going to generalize in the scenario, so what I'll say is if a person has that concrete knowing that this isn't the thing, this isn't what they want anymore, we have to look at what's the barrier to them leaving. Is it fear of judgment? Is it fear of what other people think? Is it fear of causing hurt to the other partner? Is it fear of being alone? What if I don't meet anybody else? Is it is there financial considerations that's keeping them there? Um, are they codependent? Are they taking responsibility for that person's mental health? Do they think this person won't be able to cope without me if I leave, so I'm trapped? on any number of reasons is the way somebody would stay um and those things have to be worked through and looked at but at the core of this like you're you're your own gatekeeper in that scenario like you are if this isn't what you want also looking at it from the lens of if you're at a stage in your life where this is really not what you want and it, you, like you, you know that it's going to be upsetting for both of these you know these are going to go through grief the thing is, it's also not fair to the partner in another way because they're going on on the premise that you're invested. And that is going to show up on your connection. It is going to show up in your body language. It's going to show up at some point in time. And what might happen is all their self-sabotaging behaviors might start to come up. You might push them to break up with you. You know, you might act out in different ways. And really, if you're in a therapeutic space and you're exploring this and you're talking about it, maybe at the core of this is low self-esteem. Maybe at the core of this, you know, if you're confidence is built up you might actually start to recognize your personal power and the choices that you could make but when it's around and around in your head and you're overwhelmed and maybe you've got a bit of shame or embarrassment or judgment for even feeling the way that you're feeling like oh like as you said oh, i've been with him like eight nine ten years you know what are people going to think or you know how is he going to cope or how is she going to move on like the thing is you're also assuming an awful lot in that scenario like who they are and the thing about it is like your responsibility is to, your, to yourself 
Like obviously there's stuff from context, but this is stuff from there's kids and stuff and you know, there's financial considerations. But for the most part, you have to take ownership of your choices and your quality of life. And that's the big thing you take into the space and you explore it and then you start to look at well, what needs to change. I mean, look, say even in a hypothetical where they're, they're coming in, they've got genuine needs that they're not getting met, or they've got complaints. Who's to say that maybe when they're in that space and they're talking about it, they can't go back into that relationship and start to implement things and talk about things and get the connection back on track? Or if they're really fucking adamant that they won't out, then the container then of the therapeutic space can help them move through it. But I feel like a lot of people know and they really do ignore their intuition on this and they sit on it and it is rooted in fear. It's fear of judgment, fear of what other people think, fear of how their family is going to respond, fear of how their in-laws potentially going to respond, what the other person is going to think and feel, how they're going to cope. And, you know, they probably do fucking love this person on a level, so they're trying to mitigate them out of the hurt that's going to be caused. But I think at the same time, as I say, you can't love your life for somebody else. You can't stay in that container if you know that this isn't truly what you want because you're not being true to yourself. Yeah. And I suppose... In a nutshell, the best way I can explain it without other... Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And I suppose, like you said, underneath that voice of fear, we do always know the... The, the, what is right for us like we have like that inner knowing is there it can be there for years with some people yeah it's pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down there's reasons why they're pushing it down too mm. and this is like, you're not expected they have all the solutions you're not expected they know how everything's going to go but at the core this is also self-trust and that's massive like and part of what goes on in the therapeutic space is building that sense of self, building that self-trust, building that inner strength, that confidence, that ability to regulate your emotions, to look after yourself. And then having the ego strength to make the decision to move through it. You yeah. Know, the other thing is you can't control what other people think. And that is people give too much space to that. And it's not they say like, fuck them or fuck what they think. I'm not saying that at all. But in the, in the wider scheme of things, it's going to affect the immediate people connect with that system. It's going to affect the partner, the partner's family, your family, your friend group. But see outside of that, it's a flash in the pan. People are going to go, oh, so-and-so broke up. Right, okay, what's for dinner? That's yeah. it. Because yeah. it's not their life. They're not in it. Unless there's a bit of scandal. Oh, so-and-so ran away with your man and blah, blah, blah. Right, that'll be a bit of gossip for five minutes. That's it. That person's lost they love, they have to move on with their life. That's the thing, like you can make it so much bigger than it needs to be. Yeah. And then there's the whole thing of like a breakup can be so difficult because you're a lot of the time you're losing a friend and a romantic partner. How do you how do you even start to to I suppose rebuild yourself or or heal after if you've gone through a really difficult breakup and you know, when you're in the place where it feels like everything is falling apart and you've lost like the, the most important person to you for however long it was. You're in free fall. And it's like grief. Like I always use that lens of grief, like because it's attachments, we're still talking attachments. Like, and if you've been with somebody five, six years, or even some people that have been together a year, year and a half, two years, it's not to trivialize it. If it's a really in-depth connection and then it's gone, you know, you have to look at well, how did the relationship end? That's an element of it. Was there a traumatic ending? Was there betrayal and fidelity? Was there abuse? Was there threat for life? Was there did it just fizzle out? Was there rejection? Like all those things have an impact on the sense of self. Did the person leave you for somebody else? So then you've got comparison self worth stuff coming up. 
But even at the core of this, if, if the relationship has ended, like even the announcement of a relationship coming out of the blue ending, that can be fucking traumatic for people because they have never seen it coming. I have no idea this person felt that way, which again circles back to everything we were saying about communication and trust and all that stuff. That person may have not been fully authentic and honest and open. Um, but through grief, the way I look at it, if you have something really meaningful in your life and you've spent nearly every day with them and you're really bonded with them, you're going to go through your own unique grieving process. And that's the thing. You have to be gentle with yourself because you're going to move through stages of grief. And every day is going to be like a different wave on the beach. You're going to feel different things. Some days you're going to feel all right. Some days you're going to be crying your eyes out. Some days you're going to feel fine. Some days you're going to be angry and you'll be like, fuck them, I don't care. And that's all normal. Like, But part of this is about really allowing yourself to feel what you need to feel, to grieve it, to grieve what could have been as a big thing for people. You know, we were supposed to do this. This was supposed to be the thing. No, it's not. So you're grieving what was and what could have been. You're in that space. And within that space, then you're also attending to the self. You're having to kind of rec- reconcile your new identity now as not being with that person. And a big part of what happens in that is coming back to who you are at your core, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations. I like to do goal setting sometimes and then scenarios and get people forward focused. And it's not to say, like, don't feel what you're feeling, but, like, look, life is going to move forward when you're ready. So let's get our shit together now in the meantime. Start taking care of yourself. Start meditating. Start eating right. Start working out. You know, start catching up with your friends that you've lost touch with. Start seeing your family members. Start connecting back to the things that make you you. You know, you might want to sit in the house and blast music on full blast and dance around the house like an Egypt. But if that's what makes you feel like you, do it. Yeah. For other people, it might be, I need to go away for a few days and just read my favorite books and just get a good cry. And that's all right. But the timeline of when you're going to be okay on that is individual. Some people find it really difficult to move on. And then if we look at it through the lens of neurodivergence as well, change for some people is massively upsetting. And they need a bit more patience. They need a bit more consideration, a bit more compassion. And this is where your friends and family can kind of come into this too, because if they can hold a solid space and not put a judgment on why you're feeling the way you're feeling for so long, then you can feel a bit more empathy and a bit more understood. It's like, oh, you're not over this now. You know, it's been three months. Like, you wouldn't say to somebody that had died, oh, you're not over it. It's been three months. Like, no, obviously this person meant a lot to you, you know? So and you need that space held. You do, yeah. But it's like, for, like, for a lot of people too, it's like, just be gentle with yourself. Like, you're not supposed to fucking just be like, oh, that's grand, you know? And for some people, that is maybe how they'll function because they may have grieved the relationship before it ended. So everybody's different. You just don't know contextually until you're actually in it and talking about it. But And this is where peer-to-peer things sometimes can't be helpful or might not be helpful because people be like, oh, well, he was a fucking dickhead anyway. And it's like, that's not really what she needs to hear right now. Like, you know, that's shit, that's shit, you know, that you're going through this. Is there anything I can do? Do you want to go out for a wee cup of tea? Wee cup of tea. Do you want to go out for a wee cup of tea or something? And it's just being there. You know, but people need space. They need time to move through it. But in, in the midst of all their hurt and their pain, they don't need the judgment around why they're feeling the way they're feeling. That's my take on it anyway. Um, and I, I look at it with a lens of grief because it's significant. And I think if somebody dies... We give it the respect that it's due. And if somebody had an, a five-year, six-year, ten-year relationship, that boom, it's gone. That was something to them. Do you know? So there's a, a level of consideration and respect that has to go on there with their grieving. Yeah, and I love what you said about this set, like setting some goals as well, like to start filling yourself back up and giving back those things that even in the relationship you may have been missing. If I'll start, I'll it, say that. Like, yeah, you know, people like might might. Singing a church, or they might sing in a band, or they might 
you know, they could have been on the festivals, they might have been on the like sports, they could have been on the any wee thing that they just disconnected from. You know, it wasn't a priority because maybe the focus was on other things with their partner, which it happens, you know, you fall in and out of things as relationships develop, but this is the thing about the self. And I like to look at like different lenses or not lenses, different aspects of the self that you can connect back to. And you know, if we look at it through the lens of grief, part of this is also you know, when you've moved through a lot of the emotion and the pain connected to it, eventually you'll get to this place where it's like, right, well, what am I grateful for about that relationship? You know, mm-hmm. without going to all the hurt, what did it teach me about myself? What memories am I going to cherish? What things really hurt or do I need to process and move through? What would I do differently going forward? So that I'm not going to carry this like a big fucking dead weight forward on my next relationship. Like, what can I... It's like, I think it was in family therapy, like, bless it for, bless it for what it's taught you, and then allow yourself to let it go. So you're like, right. Yeah, take the lessons and let it go. From this relationship, you know, it was a different person. Maybe that was a formative element of your life. You became a different person or molded in a different way and that held that space for you. And now maybe the next chapter of your life, you're going to do something different. Yeah, but it's it makes so much sense. Something that was intertwined, that was in your life for that season, and that's... You don't want to keep going back to it and staying in the hurt and staying in the pain. And I think this is where people get stuck. And that's often sometimes when they'll come in and seek help. And it's like my identities are, are, are irreconcilably changed. And it's about them reminding them who they are at their core. And that's the, the self and the we, who we were together and grieving what was and what could have been. Does that make sense? Well, it makes so much sense. So much sense. Um, and it like I know it'll be helpful for anyone listening as well if they're in that place where they they can relate to, to the feeling of grief when, when your relationship does end, but also having something, I suppose, to help them move forward and give them a focus. So like you said, they don't feel stuck in this in this place where when things feel like everything's falling apart. What's well, it's your your own free fall? Yeah. I mean, if you think about somebody that has a sudden death, and I don't want to keep relating it back to grief, but if you think like a sudden death, there's that initial moment of this isn't real. Mm. This isn't real. How the fuck did this happen? There's that unreality, that sense of what has just happened. And I think like when people go through that, especially if they've lost somebody in their life, they'll know that feeling very well. And they'll be like, this can't be real. So if you think of a breakup that's come in and it's come in out of the blue, there is that feeling. And that's why it's not helpful to be like, oh, just go out and fucking get the jump off somebody else. Cause like, yeah. well, some of the stuff you'll see online is just not fucking helpful. Like, but that's not, you know, that's not what needs to be attended to. And like, even with the goal setting, give yourself time, give yourself space to it in your own time. It's not like, oh, I got sacked there, I'm going to do a fucking marathon. It's like, no, like, be in the emotion. Let yourself grieve what you need to grieve because if it was meaningful and it was significant, you know, part of it is if people think that this this is where life stops, that's when it gets hard. And they're like, I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to move on. And it's like, right, you, you're, you're choosing that decision. You're choosing that stance. You know, maybe right now it's raw and you're fucking angry or you're upset and you just, you can't see yourself being happy or moving forward. But like, look, this, you, you don't, you don't have a fucking crystal ball in the future. And sometimes I'll be a sarcastic comment. I'll be like, well, where did you get your where did you get your crystal ball from? Because they don't know. Yeah. And they're in their pain in that moment. But you know, some of the things that we hold on to most tightly, you know, once we let them go, something new can come on. And that's maybe night and day difference. And that's I know it sounds a bit cliche and all the rest of it, but sometimes we're on our own way. 
and that's the problem. And when these breakups happen, if we're so focused on what was, we can't see what's coming. Mm. We're, we're closing the door to opportunities that are in front of us. Like, God, that's good. But that's that's the way <laughs> I feel like when I'm working with people and I try and get them just to explore maybe different ways of seeing it and making sense of it because it's shit. It is fucking shit. And sometimes it's just naming that, look, you're not supposed to be okay right now. Look. You know, there's enough judgment on it happening, especially when you get these certain ages and stages in life. It's like, oh my God, everybody's going to think this about me and, you know, I'm not where I thought I should be. It's like, just fucking breathe. You've got time. Like, your life, you know, you've got time. It's not ideal. It's not what you wanted, but we'll work through it. Yeah. God, I honestly, I could sit here all day and ask you questions, but I'm conscious of the time. Um, And one thing I want to ask every guest that I have on is... um kind of around self-care and I suppose what kind of tools or things that they do that they find help them look after themselves. So in this example, you can show up in your relationships better or your your family or for your kids. So is there any tools that you like to use in your daily life or if you're going through a stressful time that you find to help you? Mm. self-care for you I've kind of found the happy medium with that now especially since I started looking at trauma work and somatic work is like being aware of my like body awareness and my internal state and like breath work, meditation. Um, I might even go and get a massage once a week or I might do a bit of energy healing. Like I went, they was a fucking yin yoga and like sound healing there. And that was, that was sporadic. I was the last one. I got booked to like half an hour before it was to go on. Um, and it was good. It was mm-hmm. dead on. But what, it, what that space gave me, was 90 minutes to come back into the self and actually be aware of like what am I holding on my body, what am I feeling, you know, just a pause. And that's the thing, like it's it's going to be different things for different people depending on like what works for them. For some people, they might get totally energized, just catch up their friend. I might just be like, fuck, I got out of my head, I got out of the house, I got out of the monotony of that routine. Like for me, training has always been a social thing. That was the thing I didn't really like so much about the gym, but only BJJ and even yours going to use the box. It's just catching up with the boys, having a bit of crack, doing a bit of training, having goals. Like it all, it's all circular for me in that sense. It gives me direction. It gives me focus. It gives me accountability. I get to move my body. There's a lot of benefits to that. But then that discernment around, am I taking care of myself? This is where the other holistic side of it comes in, where I would look at breath work and meditation because I can't, especially with breath work, you're, you're, you're anchoring back into the body. I'm a big fan of breath work. Not dissociating. Whereas when you meditate, some people can struggle with it, both breath work, there's less likelihood for dissociating. Well, I shouldn't say less, but the dissociation factor isn't as high because you're con- constantly focusing on the breath. Well, I find them sessions phenomenal. Like you come out of them so grounded. You know, you're really aware of your internal self. Um, that's not to say everybody needs to run out and do it, but it's definitely two tools I would highly recommend would be some form of guided meditation or somatic work or breath work. But even for men, just having a space to move your body or women even, I shouldn't generalize, have something like that helps you just 
just clear that energy. So for me, it's always been trimming. Yeah. Yeah. They would probably be my three, a meditation and breath work in that I find, like you said, it helps me just get out of my head and back in to my body. And also it's time to develop, to strengthen that awareness of your mind and where it is and the the patterns and the stories that might be in that day or whatever, whatever's going on in your life. And I assume like those kind of things also support you showing up in your relationship as well, because you're getting out of your awareness is the way that affected you the way it affected you you're not in that reactive state and i think like even for people that are maybe overthinking meditation right it was ben franklin he was a big fan of walking and he would do all his thinking when he was walking and there's like people that will say like when they're out walking they get the best ideas or the best clarity because you know when you're out walking you know that so it doesn't have to be complicated it could just be look get out of the house get in the nature but a fresh air walk in, change in the scenery and you don't know what insights are going to come when you do that like yeah. absolutely well, yeah that, that phone, so right? good <laughs> where can we find you if anyone listening wants to look at your content get in touch right, to so, work with you uh, my website is www.rishjurt.com and then I'm on Instagram as the happy whole coach they would be the two two quickest ways to get me Brilliant. And I'll, for everyone listening, I'll link those below for you so you can find Rory easily. Honestly, thank you so much. I feel like there's so much information there and it's so nice to talk about because every one of us has relationships and there's always yeah, stuff to learn. Like, I, there's just... You can dissect them and go into each of them and expand on them. And that's the thing I always find challenging with podcasts is like, just give people a, a certain amount of information that's that they can implement and then obviously that's a start you know what I mean yeah yeah and even bringing their awareness to like even me doing this with you I it's highlighted again for me to to make sure I am focusing on those little things in my own relationship and it's just a nice way to to be more intentional I suppose when we when you have these conversations and when you fill your mind up with with things that well the thing i like about it for, for every person that endeavors to make a change you are a cycle breaker in your own family that's the way you have to look at it you've made a conscious decision we're not doing this anymore i'm not carrying this forward i want to model something different from the young kids that come after me or i want to have a fucking good relationship so by educating yourself you've, you've taken responsibility that you're not going to be an autopilot anymore and i think for the people that are maybe overthinking it or you know just diving on the books and stuff like at least give yourself the credit at the beginning for having even chosen to do that because most people won't mm, yeah oh yeah thank you so much rory thank Hello, you thank you guys thank you so much for listening i have left all of rory's details in the show notes so you can give him a follow on instagram or reach out to him if what he was saying resonated with you or you were looking for support in this area i also just want to remind you that you can also now book in for the next reset class which is on the 21st of september at 8 p.m so i have the link to that below as well and we just did one last week and it was just gorgeous and i'm so grateful to all of you that joined and that you found it helpful and yeah as always thank you for your feedback and i hope you enjoyed this episode